dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Tell the bellboy come get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here Hey everybody and welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you tonight, Meryl McNally? I'm good, how are you? I'm good. I kind of start every episode of our show exactly the same way. The only thing that really changes is whether it's this afternoon or this evening. But And that never makes a difference to the listener because they're listening to it whenever they want. But um, yeah, how have things been going the last couple weeks? What have you been up to? Good. I finished my first year of graduate school for theater management and producing. Uh-huh. Congratulations. A five-hour five exam. Ooh, nice. Yeah, and then I went home to New Mexico for a couple weeks and saw friends and family there, and now I'm back in New York and heading into summer fun. What do Good. you have to do? Same, you know, like just gearing up for summer. I'm, uh, you know, gigging as always, traveling a lot. Although I feel like I'm traveling kind of, uh, I'm traveling less far away. I'm still putting on the miles, but I feel like the distance that I'm going is not quite as far, or at least it hasn't been thus far. So it it seems like a somewhat calmer summer to me so far. So I'm I'm liking it. and it's been really warm here in Minnesota, kind of, uh, it feels like summer. It feels like our first summer in a while, so it feels good to me. Um, what have you seen lately that you've either liked or disliked and felt was worth talking about? Um, yesterday, actually, I went to see uh, Jim Jarmusch's new film, The Dead Don't Die, with Adam Driver and Bill Murray. How was that? You know what? I really enjoyed it. Did it you? is uh, quirky and dark, and it um, it drags a little at times, but I was definitely laughing out loud. So if you're a Jim Jarmusch fan, like definitely go see it. I've I don't it definitely plays with the zombie yeah the zombie tropes really really well. Nice. Yeah, he's such a he's such a unique filmmaker. I kind of hate the word unique because yeah. you never know like what people actually mean. Um, but he's so one of a kind and um, the the people that he gets for his movies. Well, one of my songwriting heroes is Tom Waits, who's in most of his movies and he's in this oh, yeah. one too. Um, I don't know if I ever told you this, but when I first moved to Arizona, um, I didn't have much to do those first couple months. And it was before I, I did yeah. my YouTube thing where I do a song a day. And so I... I I was almost ready to record a new album of my own songs, but I needed a couple more songs, and so I was waiting. And um, I started recording a bunch of Tom Waits songs, because I'd also been saying I was going to do a Tom Waits CD at some point. And uh, a few months had gone by, and all of a sudden I had recorded 135 of his songs. And Whoa. I obviously, like, you can't put 135 songs on a CD, but it was, like, the most creative... Um, work I felt like I'd ever done and I was really stubborn about it and was like I'm not breaking this up Uh, you know I I was like I'm putting this out as a six cd thing and I knew it was going to lose money and I was his his publishing company and his management was really nice to me and was you know kind about trying to figure it out and it just it still has never been put out because there's just no way for me to to put it out without hemorrhaging money on the royalties alone you know but 
it's yeah. I still hope someday it's just sitting there waiting for something. Um, and That's amazing. Well, hopefully something will come of it because it really was like uh, in just experiencing one person's mm. work for like four months of time was just such a like privilege and it was so cool. But for anybody who doesn't know who he is, he's one of the most unique writers that you will ever come across. He's absolutely amazing. And his he kind of sounds like um, he kind of sounds like a drunk pirate when he sings. He talks like this and everything like that. <laughs> and uh, so he he and his wife write a lot of songs together, and they write some of the most beautiful songs you'll ever hear. And they also write really you know eclectic songs. So it's not all like you know sentimental love songs. But he when he writes those sentimental love songs, it's some of the most touching stuff you'll ever hear. And then a guy who sings like this is, is singing them, and it's just so jarring and wonderful so anyway <laughs> anyway what else have you seen so the that one sounds good i'm i'm hoping to see that one what else yeah i saw um uh i saw endgame oh how's that? endgame yeah it was yeah it was long yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean i am i would Marvel fan. I'm not an uber fan. I definitely have not seen all of the movies. I've seen maybe about 50% of them. I sort of follow along loosely. Um, I've seen the Avengers films. So um, I enjoyed the last one because there's a lot of insider, you know, wrapping up. I thought they did a great job wrapping up the tenure, the sort of tenure track of those original um, actors sort of sent them off. Um, yeah, but there was there was a moment in Endgame, like in the final big battle, and this is a spoiler, where sort of unexpectedly all of the badass female superheroes are in one shot, and they are there to like help Spider-Man get something somewhere, I don't know. I'm not kidding you, Zach. Like, I unexpectedly started weeping in the middle of Endgame. Wow. I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Wow. <laughs> and it sort of took me by surprise, because I wasn't expecting to see them all in frame at the same time, and the weight of it yeah. was the coolest. I was like, wow, listen, all those fat-ass women. It was pretty cool. Nice. It was a moment. Well, awesome. Especially a moment. It was worth the movie. Well, awesome. Yeah. So, what have you seen? Um, I've seen three things in the theater. I don't really have like deep thoughts on any of them, actually. But I, I can give you quick things. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I'll start with what was for me the biggest disappointment. I, I a couple of days ago, I took my nephew to see the Godzilla, K- King of the whatever, and oh yeah, um, I wanted to like it so much more than I did. It just. I was hoping that it was going to be a little bit, I don't know why I was hoping this, but I was hoping it'd be a little bit more intellectual than it was. I know that sounds stupid for a movie like that, but. um, (laughs) I'm sorry. I wasn't expecting you to say that. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely not on the intellectual side. And that's the thing that disappointed me was there's like, I don't want to give away very much of the plot, although it doesn't really go in a direction that's terribly surprising based on the trailer. But there are questions in the film raised about like 
overpopulation, which is I, one of the things that I think like too few people talk about. I feel like that's a major issue that we just are like everybody collectively too nervous to discuss. <laughs> and, um, right. you know, things like how we're treating our planet and those questions are raised for like five seconds and then are just gone. And instead it's just oh. like battle, 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 explosion, explosion, explosion. And, um, my nephew loved it, but in that sort of like, you know, he's a 12 year old boy. And so that sort of like, he walked out super amped up and that kind of like, really, right. you know, and it was that sort of, like, and not to mention the trailers they showed before that movie, you know, the Terminator one, the fast and furious one, uh, there was some other like hyper violent one. And it's just, yeah. you, you know, I don't know. It's just not, uh, it's not my bag. It wasn't, you know, the performances are good. The 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 girl, I was going to say little girl, but she's not little. Um, the girl from Stranger Things is quite good. Uh, Vera Farmiga. Bobby Brown? Yes, yes. Uh, Vera Farmiga is quite good. Um, you know, it's one of those, oh, you know who's in that movie that I didn't know was in that movie? Is uh, David Strathairn, who we've been talking about. Really? Yeah. Oh. Um, it's in such a way that... Uh, I wasn't sure it was him in his first scene. Uh, there was kind of a, a way he was speaking in the first scene that I was like, is that David Strathairn? Oh, no, I don't think it is. And then the next scene, it was kind of un, you know, it was unmistakable. Oh, yeah, that is him. Uh, and he doesn't have a huge part, but it's just one of those movies that like everybody in that, um, everybody in that movie is one of those, uh, you know, actors who's been around and in fact actually now that i say that there's a couple other people who's like how are these people taking these tiny tiny little roles sally hawkins plays a super tiny little role uh, bradley whitford kind of does his bradley whitford thing that he's known for now and um yeah yeah so anyway so i don't know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna give it a recommendation but you know it was it was fine um the other two movies that i saw in the theaters recently were both comedies i saw that the hustle movie with anne hathaway and rebel wilson um oh how was that I kinda, I'm a big fan of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and I found the preview for The Hustle, um, like, grating. Oh, yeah. I, for me, it's it fell into that category that actually the fewest of all movies fall into, uh, which is I felt completely ambivalent about it. There were, It had its moments. You know, it definitely... I, Rebel Wilson makes me laugh. I think she's really funny. And yeah. so... She made me laugh a few times, but overall it was kind of like, eh, whatever. Like it, it definitely did not strike me as, oh, wow, I'm, I'm really glad they did this. You know, it, it just was kind of, it was fine. There was certainly nothing offensive about it, but it also just seemed like, I don't know, everybody's talents could have been, it was a nice showcase for Rebel Wilson. And I think, I think maybe she wrote, I should look it up. I don't know if she wrote it, but she definitely produced it. And it seemed like. You know, this was like her project. Um, Anne Hathaway, I don't know. I, I like her so much in, in some things. and But I think if I just never see her playing the like spoiled rich person character again, I'll be happy. Like I just, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like that's... That's what I struggled with in, in the trailer is that, well, not so much that character, but I really love Anne Hathaway. Yeah, I do too. I'm a fan. Yeah. I like her a lot. I wish that she would stop being British. Yes. <laughs> because yes. the accent is atrocious in everything she does. I'm so sorry, Anne, to put that out there into the world. But it is true. 
Okay. I'm glad you said that because that's exactly it. There, And it actually, it's one of those things as you can pick up from, you know, if you saw the trailer, it's not a secret. It's like a, it's a story of grifters, you know, they're, they're con artists. And right. so it's like early in the film that she's doing the accent thing, but it was, I did have that thought where I was like, if she's going to be doing this the whole time, this is really going to be a really insufferable movie. And thankfully, not? no, she, drop it? she drops it. And actually not that far into oh. the movie, about like 10 minutes into the movie, it's dropped. I am more likely to see it now knowing that. Yeah. Like that's how much, because it's, it's almost the entire trailer is just her with that voice. Yeah. Yeah. And she does, it comes back a couple times, like again, when she's in character as the grifter, you know, like when she's in the middle of a con. But when she's her normal self, she's not doing that. Yeah. So there's it's it's not quite as obnoxious as as the trailer would make it seem. But yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm with you a hundred percent on that. Um and so the third one that I saw was a movie called Long Shot, which was the Charlie's Theron, um, Seth Rogan one. Oh, was that good? Out of the three that I saw, I think it was the best. And it kind of surprised me that it was, it wasn't, it also wasn't amazing. You know, I'm not going to say run out and go see it, but it had more heart to it than I expected. And I think it was a little bit more, um, it was surprisingly kind of hopeful. You know, it's, it's a movie where she was, she's running for president basically and they had really good chemistry together and there was something kind of about that the pairing of them i don't know it was it was good that was one that surprised me more so than the others although i also didn't have super high expectations for it so um yeah it was but that one i thought was the best out of the three. Oh, you know what else i saw i saw aladdin oh what did and you I think of that I wasn't going to because honestly, the trailer doesn't look good at all. Right. And this whole like trend, the transfer to live action business, I could you know leave it. Um, and then it came out, and everyone was sort of talking about it, uh, how good it was. And you know what? I was pleasantly surprised. It was very charming. They rewrote sort of Jasmine's story to give her some agency and more than some, quite a bit, and, uh, which was huge, um, and Will Smith, honestly, he, kind of, he makes the genie his own, but also, like, gives a nod to Rob Williams, um, in a way that is quite charming. The preview made it look so hokey that I wasn't sure it was going to work, but it, I mean, he really has so much charisma. He's got it, like, oozing out of his pores. So he, he totally makes it work. And um, it was really fun. Guy Ritchie's direction was interesting because he's got that really sort of frenetic, choppy, fast-paced editing that he likes to do. Yeah. Which was weird in a musical theater piece. Um, I think it helped sort of modernize it and make it a little more cool mm-hmm. with the dancing. Um, but it also made for less spectacular musical numbers. Totally worth a rent. Okay. Totally worth it. I it's actually, I've, I've heard. Especially if you're an Aladdin fan. Right. Yeah. It was, again, that's, I'm, I feel like people are probably really sick of me saying not my demographic, but not my demographic. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I've, I've heard 
actually very pleasant things. But that, I feel like Disney, it's kind of like, it feels like they're just backing up these movies because Lion, the live action Lion King comes out, it seems like in a couple weeks. And it's, it, you know, yeah. it's that sort of like, you couldn't have spread these two movies out just a little bit. Um, but I guess they're just going to do what they're going to do, you know, I whatever. Yeah. Um, but yes, I've heard that it's yeah. actually better than it looks from a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And, um, well, you know, Disney, Disney's a behemoth. They're huge, but they are, um, in the theater scene, they're reviving Get in the Beast. Right. They've got a new production of Hercules going up uh, with the public theater this summer as part of Public Works, which is a program that involves, you know, roughly 100 members of the community as part of the production, which is really cool. And then um, they're reviving Aida. Those are the big, those are the big items. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna own the world sooner or later, I think. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but you know, whatever. They're pumping. At least the stuff that they've been putting out is, for the most part, better than it looks like it would be, or you know, in this case anyway. So, um, cool. Well, let's move on. So tonight, as we're recording, the second episode of Big Little Lies season two will air. Um, yeah. but we, we got to d- see the premiere episode of, of this season. So what did you think? Did it live up to you, your expectations? You know, it really did. I was actually a little concerned about there being a second season, um, because we're veering off from the book and, um, and also it, I just wasn't sure the story felt very wrapped up in some ways. But man, it did not disappoint. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. How did you feel about it? I loved it so much. And I'm exactly where you were. And in fact, I, I told you this the other day when we were texting, but um, there are a few of our listeners who've actually friended me on Facebook, which is nice. Uh, you are welcome to friend me on Facebook. I'm happy to do that. And uh, the day last Sunday, uh, several of them were sending me tech, you know, like messages on Facebook saying, you know, are you excited for the show? And, you know, and so to somebody I was, I said, you know, I think I'm about as excited as I could be, but I, you know, I'm trying to keep expectations reasonable because I kind of feel like you just said I I wasn't big little eyes was so was so good and I just always have this fear that they're just going to take it one step too far and then the whole thing will just kind of be a little bit poisoned because of that the ones that I get excited about like big little eyes and I'm pretty excited for the laundromat movie that's coming out later this year um you know those those ones they really haven't disappointed me. Uh, like the post, I could not have been more excited for, and that lived up to my expectations too. But man, this episode was so good, and the the question of whether Meryl was going to get any like stuff, or if they if she was just going to be like a you know given a nice scene to like show in the Emmy clip thing, um, she kind of had the best role of the whole thing. Oh man, she was. Oh man, that the writing, the the, the writing plus Meryl is really epic. And those pre- she's got some prosthetic teeth in, and it just makes her a very specific type of woman. It's unbelievable to me that something so tiny 
he's able to utilize that power play. It's pretty astounding. I actually was hoping I, I I was hoping that I was going to tell you about the fake teeth. I was hoping you wouldn't have heard about that because I don't think people know about that. And I noticed immediately. Did you see? So yeah. Catherine Newton, who plays Reese Witherspoon's daughter, she did an interview and kind of let the cat out of the bag about that and and said. Not only is she wearing those fake teeth, but like she had those specially made and like didn't even ask. She just did it. And so she. Oh my gosh, is a genius. Yeah, it's just one of those things where you can just decide I'm going to have somebody make fake teeth for me. She She's playing his mother, and so she wanted the teeth to match, and she didn't feel like her teeth looked like his teeth. I mean, like, what a thing to notice, you know? And to take it that far, especially considering. We only see him in flashbacks where we're not really seeing even his face, at least in this episode, right. you know? So it's, yeah, it, it's pretty amazing. But yeah, it did kind of change her articulation yeah, a little I bit. I had no idea she modeled them off of Alexander Park. I thought you say that, they look almost identical. Yep. I just noticed them immediately because it changed her, enti- I mean, it just changed her entirely. Yeah. And she's She's always changing her hair as an actress, which is amazing. Um, um, but yeah, this was so noticeable immediately. Reese Witherspoon and Meryl Streep on screen together um, was everything I needed and didn't know. So it'll. Um, I was I was kind of trepidatious to watch this first episode. In fact, I waited until I didn't watch it when it first came out. I watched it. I didn't even watch it. I watched it just yesterday or the day before. I kind of waited as long as I could. Um, I was just nervous that I wasn't gonna like it very much, but it was so good. So good. <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan. I'm really excited to watch tonight. Yeah, there are already, um, you know, because of that scream scene, everybody is just basically saying, you know, give her the Emmy already at this point. Um, And it is... I know, Well, and I mean, I think if she submits episode one, she probably does. I, I, She could go in the lead category. You know, she's not even supporting in this episode. She's in the lead category in this episode. So it'll yeah, be interesting definitely. to see how it'll shake out. There wasn't much for Laura Dern in the episode. There wasn't even all that much for Nicole Kidman, really. Um, so yep. it'll be interesting to see how things go as it's continuing but you know what there wasn't a lot with Hilly Kravitz there wasn't really a lot with anybody except Reese Witherspoon and Meryl Streep it really was setting I think up that dynamic you're right yeah yeah it'll be interesting to see uh how things how things go and I I imagine that you know she might not be utilized quite as much in every single episode as she was in the first one but maybe she will be maybe they figure they got her and they'll use her but um yeah yeah, it's it, the first episode certainly exceeded my expectations. So excited to see where it goes. Yeah, me too. So, all right, shall we transition into uh, the movie for this episode? It's a doozy. It is. All right, 2008's Doubt, um, written and directed by the infamous John Patrick Shanley. So, Doubt is based off of John Patrick Shanley's play of the same name and it is about um a a nun at a parish school in the 
1960s? Yeah, it's, right? ni- it's 1964. Because he says one, it, one of his very first oh, things. Oh, after Kennedy. Exactly, yeah. Um, she becomes suspicious of the parish, the parish priest. Um, she becomes suspicious that he has had inappropriate um, interaction with one of the altar boys, who's um, a young African American man, and she basically goes on a vendetta to have him removed or have him leave and resign. Um, She's certain of his guilt. And the big question raised by the entire piece is, it's not black and white. You're never sure one way or another. And so I think the the real theme of the piece is actually the title, Doubt, what that means, Certainty versus Doubt. And um, and, how how we judge other people. Right, yeah. Well... The thing that I kept thinking about too is, and I mean, as a as a former lawyer, I'll, you know, I would imagine your mind probably went there too. But the phrase "reasonable doubt" kept coming into my mind of like, you yeah. know, is there enough to convince you, or is there, you know, some gray area where you could kind of see both sides of it? And I think that's one of the things that's probably best known about this piece, at least as a theatrical piece, is it is ambiguous and it's designed to be ambiguous. And kind of um, when it was on Broadway and for this movie, because John Patrick Shanley directed the film as well, he only told the actor playing uh, the father whether he was guilty or not. He didn't tell anybody else whether John Patrick Shanley felt like he was guilty or, or not. And so there's something about that that, you know, you could see both sides, although I definitely have one opinion. I don't know if you do. Oh, God. I find this movie torturous because I go back and forth. Mm. I, I, I am the ideal response to this movie um, and, and this story because I want to believe in his innocence and in so much of, in this instance, it's Philip Seymour Hoffman plays the priest. There's so much of his uh, delivery and inter- interactions that make me believe in his innocence. But then John Patrick Shanley brilliantly peppers in these very uncomfortable moments that make you doubt your certainty. Right. That's the beauty of this. It's really a stunning piece of writing because you do, you just go like, and it's so, it's, it's things like in that first interaction in, um, in the office with Amy Adams and they confront him for the first time. Um, his response is, is sort of strange. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's so guarded and defensive, uh, almost immediately and withholding, very secretive. And, and so, and then later there's, there's a supposed rational explanation for why he was being so secretive, but doesn't quite land entirely right. You don't quite believe it entirely when he finally, you know, gives that information. Um, yeah, and the nails, the long nails, even though that's not, (laughs) not evidence. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just a little, oh God, yeah. Uh, what do you think? What's your opinion? 
I do think he's guilty. Um, I I feel like there are it, the clues are they kind of start. It's it's exactly what you were saying in that kind of early on scene where she's first confronting him and she she kind of builds to it. I love the line that he has. Like you said, Amy Adams is there and Amy Adams plays kind of the idealistic young nun at the school, the one who still like really loves teaching kids and really feels like she's making a difference. Um, and she's the one who really kind of brings it to Meryl's character, sister um, Aloysius. I don't know. I don't even know how to say her name, but, um, and she's kind of the very stern, older nun, the kind of stereotype of a nun, the very rigid, the very, you know, like, you know, we'll slap you with a ruler kind of nun. And so she brings her concerns to her and the, the three of them are in an office and they, it kind of is designed to almost trap him in a way because they start talking about this, this Christmas pageant that they have coming up and you know he has an interest in in basically reaching out to the church more and kind of letting letting down some of their kind of rigidness and doing something like frosty the snowman and you know something that will kind of get people a little bit more excited to go to church and she uses that in a roundabout way to get him to kind of start talking about this and at one point he says is this the reason that we're actually here is to talk about this and um there, yeah, like you say, there are so many moments where the things that he says, it's almost like mm-hmm. when he when he has time to come up with an explanation, he can do that. But when he's put on the spot, he can't. Yeah. He can't quite. He can't quite. F- yeah, and I just there's there's a few times where what he's saying doesn't really. Um, it's it seems like, and he kind of gives up towards the end of the movie, you know, he basically just backs down and then asks uh, Meryl's character, Sister Aloysius, you know, he says, well, haven't you ever done anything immoral? And that to me is the moment where I'm like, he's almost saying it, almost. He's not really, he's not, he's saying that thing where he's like, I'm not saying I'm saying it, but I mean, couldn't you kind of understand if I did that sort of thing? And um, so that to me is the moment. But then, like you say, there is that flip. And it's the it's the very last scene in the movie where where Amy Adams and Meryl are sitting on the park bench outside in the infamous final line of the play on the movie. The I have I have so many doubts, you know, where it's almost she starts to question. And and just when I've been convinced now, she who'd been going so strongly is starting to ask questions. So then. But ultimately, yeah, I do think he, I do think he did something inappropriate. Yeah. So I don't know. It yeah. doesn't. It's not for me to say. But um, I don't know. This uh, <clears throat> this movie was on Broadway. It won the Pulitzer Prize. Um, yeah. As a play, and I guess all of them except for Viola Davis went to see the play. Uh, Meryl described it as a really transformative um, evening at the theater. She said that she had been hearing about it from so many people, but that she didn't even know what it was about, that nobody was telling her what it was about, that they were just saying, you've got to see it. And so she didn't know when she went to see it, what it was about. And, um, so yeah, it is one of, it's kind of an interesting thing as an actor where you're probably, you know, she was so complimentary of Cherry Jones performance, but you know, it's also that sort of thing where you watch that and go, man, she's good. And man, I hope I get to play that in the movie version. (laughs) And it's gotta be kind of a funny funny spot as an actor to be uh to be in you know yeah 
Yeah, for sure. It's interesting because I think, um, I mean, Meryl Streep can do anything. Yeah. Cherry Jones, Cherry Jones is, I think, a more natural fit for the part. Could be, um, yeah. She has a, she has a hardness about her that, that has, like, strength that, um, I would have loved to have seen her do it yeah that that i agree with i would i would really really love to see it and actually while we're on this subject uh not to interrupt you here but just as long as we're on this because um in the dvd extras john patrick shanley said you know he he said the thing that they always say which is well meryl was always the first choice and that's probably true i mean like she was at you know she she was she had just done devil wears prada and julie and julia like she was a you know, like at kind of one of the yeah. peaks of her powers by when this was coming down. Oh wait, Julie and Julia was right after this, but it, this was right after Devil Wears Prada anyway. And um, okay. so, yeah, she probably was the first choice, but on IMDb in the trivia section, there is, so you don't know how, how actual, you know, how realistic this actually is and based in truth, but it says Frances McDormand was the original choice for the role. And oh. that's another one. Couldn't you see that? Oh, yeah. Big time. This is like such a Frances McDormand role. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, other people that it says were considered, and again, we don't really know what capacity or whether it's just somebody saying all of this, but it lists Sigourney Weaver, Annette Bening, Kathy Bates, and Angelica Houston, which that's an interesting list of four actresses, actually. Like, that's there's a lot of... I mean, they're all white women roughly the same age, but, like... In terms of type, there's actually a lot of variety there. Vastly different. Yeah. And actually, do you have, like, out of those who... I, I'd love to see every version of that, actually. But, you know, is there one that jumps out to you outside of Frances McDormand? Because there is one for me that seems really interesting. You said Angelica Houston and Annette Bening and who else? Sigourney Weaver and Kathy Bates. Um... Yeah, I would love to see all of them. I know. I think, I think maybe Kathy Bates. Yeah, that that was one of my first impulses. I'm going with Angelica Houston. I think Angelica Houston in this would be really, really Terrifying. interesting. Yeah, absolutely. That is the thing. She would she would scare. I think Kathy Bates could get there too, but Angelica Houston, there's such an intensity there. Where Sigourney Weaver, I, like I really think Sigourney Weaver is underrated really underrated actually and she'd be quite terrifying as well she could be but like out of all of those i think she'd be the least terrifying there's something about uh, about her characterization that i don't know yeah but i don't I know think they, a way about Annette Benning, but i don't know she can be tough too yeah yeah um as long as we're on this train here um it lists three actors who were considered for father flynn which is the philip seymour hoffman role and speaking of diversity this is a really really unique set of three so tom hanks that's not that interesting i'm sure he's considered for virtually every movie that's made um but the other the other two are john cusack and david hyde pierce oh i know isn't that kind of a unique collection of three actors right there yeah. John Cusack and David Hyde Pierce up for the same role. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. I can't really see John Cusack in this role. I think I can. 
I mean, it'd be a great role for him. I think he's good. It's just, I, I don't know. I feel like by this time he was already in his kind of phoning it in phase. No offense, that's John true. Cusack. I, I'm sure no, you're. That's in, true. Yeah, I. This was. I think so. This was his direct to DVD phase right here. <laughs> oh, John. Um. Yeah, you know what? I think. I don't. I have a hard time believing any of them because Philip Seymour Hoffman is really quite perfect. Mm-hmm. David Hyde Pierce. That one's interesting to me too. That's very interesting. I'd be very interested to see him do that. Yeah. That's a that's a role um, that I I feel like I would probably feel a little bit more conflicted with him. There is something about the way Philip Seymour Hoffman plays this role too. I I find Philip Seymour Hoffman to be kind of unlikable in this. I feel I feel like he just kind of um, it's not a it's not a knock on him. I think he's one of the great actors of our of our time. But like the he just he's such a hothead in this. Like he's always. It's because it's it's because you can't get at him. Right. You can't get at the character. You don't know what he's thinking or what his motivation is. It's like quicksand, and it makes it very difficult to watch his scenes because you don't you don't know. It's really brilliant. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Not likable. Yeah. And but there is likability in in his when he's talking about compassion and there's likability in his interactions with the children exactly which yes which is really fascinating right it almost lends itself to increasing his creepiness because like this guy not quite right but then in these scenes with these kids he's so warm and open yeah and you're like oh what's there. Right. Well, yes, you actually, thank you for saying that because that, yeah, I didn't mean that he's completely unlikable. I meant in his interactions with, with Meryl's character. Like there, it's, oh, yeah, there's sure. just no, there's never a moment where you see um, like any real connection between them in terms of like being peers. It's very much a, he's in charge. She even says several times, like he is above me in terms of the power structure. And when he when he loses it with her and says you have taken vows you are I can't remember what word he uses like you are o- obedience o- obedience you, yes. yeah you are obedient to us yes I was like, Whoa. well <laughs> that is the other reason that I think he's guilty because he uses that as his get out of jail free card he uses the yep. you're not allowed I forbid you to do this because you answer to me. And I feel like yeah. If, and when he loses his temper with her for calling, she for those of you who haven't seen it, she tells him that she's called his former parish and talked to a nun rather than the priest. And when he finds out she's talked to a nun rather than the parish priest, she gets he gets really upset very quickly. It makes you go, yeah. I mean, and he says it's because she left the chain of command, right? But it's suspicious, right? It is. It is that um, there are a couple things to kind of keep in mind, I guess, when you're thinking of whether or not it's possible that he did it, or at least some things that I go to. One, whether or not we should or not, I always take into consideration the time period, so 1964, and try to think of how things were in 1964. Um, The other thing that I try to keep in mind is, you know, if he was, I mean, imagine that you 
were falsely accused of doing something. To me, if I were falsely accused of doing anything, like a crime like this, this would put me over, like this would upset me more than being accused of most crimes. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And so there, sure. there is a sort of, I can kind of understand why he would go to that level of anger and get there pretty quickly because this is a if he is if he yeah. is truly innocent this is really a horrible thing to be accused of um but at the same time there is sort of a like you know you're protesting a little bit too strongly too fast kind of thing it's it's again the balance that makes this such a revered piece of you know art because it's just so ambiguous and kind of deliciously ambiguous that you know yeah. it's all there as an actor this is a kind of role as an actor you would just you could spend days in the rehearsal room just talking like this and asking questions and hypotheticals and um, yeah. that's you know that's a wonderful thing and and sometimes when it's not given to you I mean I think of doing it on Broadway and you know a year in if you're a little bit bored you can you can play it one night and try to give a little bit of the edge to, you know, guilty. And then the next night, try to give a little bit, you know, yeah. but, yeah. you know, there's no moment where he kind of softens his interaction with, with Meryl's character. And that to me is the thing that um, brings it back to the, you know, he's just so on guard with her that there's something yeah. there. Yeah. Um, we haven't even talked about really. This is really a three-character piece in a lot of ways, with one amazing yeah. scene by a fourth actress. Um, and I have to say, if there's ever a Meryl Streep scene that I love, that I feel like should be in the time capsule, and it's not even just because of Meryl Streep, it's because of the other person. It's the Viola Davis scene in this movie. It is, it is the most incredible the scene. Yeah. It's incredible. It's a masterpiece. I know. It's stunning to watch. I rewound and watched it several times. Yeah. I, I watched it again, too. It was... She's in one scene in the entire movie, and she has more presence uh, in that one... I mean, this was kind of like her first... This is the first thing... I had seen her in other things, but it was the first time that I remember being like, oh my God, who is that? You know? Uh, yeah. I don't think I knew her name before that. And Yeah, I think this was her breakout. Yeah. Yeah. It's just extraordinary what she does. And, you know, to be nominated for an Oscar. And I'm going to argue she should have won that year. Because do you know who did win that year? Who? I don't Pe remember. Penelope Cruz. I remember watching yeah. Penelope Cruz. For, oh, was that for Vicky Cristina Barcelona? Yes, which I think you're a fan of that movie, aren't you? Well, I was back then. I don't know. I haven't rewatched it because it's a Woody Allen film. And you should die. Right. Sorry for swearing, audience. <laughs> Um, so I don't know if I watched it now, if I would feel the same way. I enjoyed it at the time, yeah. um, but not enough to give Penelope Cruz an Oscar over it, Viola Davis. Right, and I don't. It's not a knock on Penelope Cruz. She is good in that movie, and you know what? She has a more screen time and like more character development and all of that. But you know, when you take the power yeah. of somebody's acting and you can boil it down to whatever five seven minutes however long that scene is and distill it like that i think she did just as much in seven minutes as most actors or actresses do in an hour and a half movie i don't think it's oh, yeah. about who had the bigger role i think it's who did the best with their time on screen and i just can't think of a performance off the top of my head that you know 
is more masterful than Viola Davis in that seven minute chunk. It's like when uh, Judy Dench won her Oscar for what eight minutes of screen time in Shakespeare in Love. It's kind of the same thing, where yeah, you know. It's like, this is a perfect performance. It doesn't really matter how long the... But, I don't know. I think they were both... I think Penelope Cruz at that point was like a real... And still is to a certain degree. But like an upstart ingenue. And Viola Davis was something of an unknown quantity. And people probably viewed her as like a character actor who was probably going to get, you know, some some good work. But like this was her like just being nominated as reward enough where you know that kind of thinking probably um in in the academy and you know it's too bad because i bet if they could retroactively change it i think they probably would oh yeah i'm sure that happens all the time (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and Um, viola davis did win you know her oscar for for fence is another theatrical piece um but I really think she should have won for this. I really, really do. She's so she good. It's so brilliant. Yeah. Um, all four actors were nominated that year. Meryl in the lead yeah. ca- in Meryl in the lead category, the other three in supporting, and um John Patrick Shanley was nominated for adapted screenplay, which that's a funny caveat to that, isn't it? Because it was adapted from his own work. And so he's in the adapted yeah. category instead of original. You would think there would be some sort of disclaimer you know yeah yeah exception if it's based on your own work in some capacity but i don't know it's funny what did you think of amy adams in this piece Mm. um (laughs) you know i she's okay um i think i think i i feel a little bit like I, I felt a little bit like she was playing innocent. Okay. Rather than being innocent. Okay. And there were moments where she was straddling, um, like putting, it, it felt like a facade of, of innocence rather than actual at its core innocence, and I don't think that that's in the script. I think that character is actually quite innocent. And then you see moments where she's influenced by Meryl Streep, and she starts to harden a little. Mm-hmm. And you definitely, you definitely see those moments too. But I don't think, I don't think that particular that character to me is in contrast to, um, say, the father who, who has so much facade, so many walls up. I think she's meant to be sort of the counterpoint to that, where she has not, she is pure in some ways. And so it didn't, it didn't quite land for me. How do you feel about that? Um, you know, I, I guess I feel like I've seen her be better. I, I did like her in this. Actually, the, the scene that kind of did it for me with her was, it's exactly what you were just talking about, actually, where she's influenced by Meryl's character and she actually goes back to her room after um, after kind of an intense scene with with Meryl, and she's for the first time kind of tough on the kids. She sends one of her kids to the principal's office, and when he comes back, yeah. he yells at her, and she kind of realizes, "Oh, I'm, you know, 
I'm a little wound up from that confrontation and I'm taking it out on these kids and she kind of softens and they each apologize to each other. That scene to me really worked. It's, I don't know, this is, this to me is easily the hardest of the four roles to play because there's, it's just such a, it's, you are really stuck in that space between both and where you, that maybe is the thing. Is it you, I guess as an actor, my, I think my um, instincts would have me picking a side stronger, stronger than I think she does, than I think Amy Adams does. I think she really kind of leans into the ambiguity and and tries to kind of straddle that line the entire way. And maybe the character is supposed to do that. Maybe it's written in that way. But I would have a hard time not kind of leaning one way or the other. And I don't think she does at all. I think she really... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you know what it is? Is it feels like a self-conscious performance. Mm. I am very aware of the actor. And I don't know, you know, I, I don't know if that's true or, or what contributed to that. I know since then um, she has spoken to being, feeling very, like before she had her daughter, feeling very self-conscious and not being entirely sure of herself, um, which, my God, you know. I mean, I can sit here and criticize. I couldn't do it. Um, um, so I don't. I don't know if that played a part. I was just. I was just very aware of the actor trying. Sure. Yeah. Um, and honestly, um, it's not. It's not my favorite Meryl performance either. Interesting. Um, I. And this is this is totally subjective on my part, but. Um, my my grandmother was hardcore Catholic, and um, uh, she was a, a Spanish Catholic. She was hardcore, and um, just sort of being exposed to that, there's a there's a hardness and a wall that goes up that even when they show emotion or affection or express themselves, it's still quite guarded. And that's not that's not necessarily the most interesting thing to watch on screen. But I found I found that I was sort of on a roller coaster with Meryl Streep where she was this like deep voiced Nazi nun. And then she was more Meryl Streep, her accent softened and she was more expressive and um and I, I mean, I get that she was being an authoritarian with the kids. I, I, I definitely get that there's that we all sort of take on roles in our life, and she was doing that a little bit. But there were moments that she softened and made choices as an actor that I didn't like. It didn't. It didn't ring true for me. Interesting. I was like, that woman, that woman would show that priest no vulnerability. <laughs> I, I I mean that, and that was. That's what she had set up for me, right? As an actor, and so I was really surprised to see her um, like start to kind of sort of lose her her strength. Um, so yeah. Well, interesting, huh? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm not quite sure what it was. I mean, she's not a She's amazing. This yeah. is not to say that I don't think she's phenomenal, but. Um, yeah, I thought, I thought there were some interesting moments where I was like, oh, 
Yeah. Well, it is kind of... Um, this is a performance that is, I think, more difficult than some of the others that she's that she's had to um, have a lot of... She, she doesn't have a huge arc, basically. Um, and no. I feel like it's it's definitely not a one note performance. I think she actually some of the some no. of the choices that she makes are really interesting. But I don't think the opportunities are there with this role to make as many choices as she might otherwise be able to. It's kind of a it, That's true. it's kind of a more specific character type where she doesn't have a lot of freedom. It would be interesting to see how much she could you know how how much she felt like she could really relate to this character. I feel like there are so many of her roles where that's the thing that grabs her, right? You know, and she talks about that openly, you know, how much she could relate to this character that she was playing for for one reason or another. And I wonder what that is about this character and if there is much of anything that she could relate to about this about this particular character. Yeah. She did speak about, you know, researching with nuns and, you know, going to visit with nuns. So I'm sure she did in some way or another. But is this just an opportunity to play a great role or is this you know she wanted to do it because she saw something that really you know hooked her with with the script and you know a, a choice that she could make i don't know it's an interesting yeah. it's an interesting uh role it really is that moment where he asked her if she's ever done anything wrong yeah have you ever committed a mortal sin and she says she says yes and kind of loses it um and then a moment later, she's kind of got it back together. And and, and uh, I was watching very briefly before we started recording uh, an interview with the cast of Charlie Rose, and um, uh, she I, she talks more than I think she would have liked to because she kind of stopped herself about the character and the backstory. And she said that she did create a backstory for this character where that made her specifically very attuned to this particular sin. And that it involved a lot of pain, and that there was certainly something in her in her past that made her very sensitive to this in particular. Interesting. Um, so you sort of see that in this moment. But if I didn't know that, that that moment, I I don't know. That moment took me out of it. Not that it's not a great performance. I believe her. It's just like. I just, this woman is, I mean, she is tough as nails Catholic. <laughs> but she would not lose it with her enemy. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually kind of a good, that is kind of an interesting thought. You know, she does seem like somebody who's probably, um, you know, done battle with so many parents and, ah. yeah, to kind of... To, and in her own life, she's had a husband die. Right. Um... You know, I mean, she, and, and she says that she has some lines at the beginning where she really talks about how men won't do anything. They won't listen, the men in the church, and that they have to take care of it themselves. Uh-huh. You know, she's, you know, you know, she's been through it. She is like battle hardened. She is a battle axe. And um, I just, yeah, that, that moment showed so much vulnerability who is essentially an enemy that you're doing battle with in that moment. But I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. Yeah. It is. It is a really interesting. This, this one is a, one of her performances that I feel like you could 
analyze more maybe than some other ones and like really could get you thinking. But yeah, it is that question of maybe, maybe she doesn't feel particularly warm. And so it's hard to find her, um, you know, it's hard to be one of the favorite performances if you're kind of ambivalent at best about the person, you know, that she's playing. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I think too, it is very challenging to, um, suppress Meryl Streep's humanity. Right. And that's what I sort of felt I was watching. I felt I felt I kept watching Meryl Streep's empathy and humanity sort of leak out of this performance in sort of unintentional ways, um, um, which you know is not the worst thing that could possibly happen. <laughs> right. Right. How did you, um, How did you feel about the direction of this movie and cinematography and things like that? Did you have a particular sense of John Patrick Shanley is such an interesting case because, you know, he directed one movie before this, almost 20 years before this. He directed Joe versus a Volcano. And he wrote yeah. he wrote some stuff, including the screenplay for one of your favorites. He wrote Moonstruck. Moonstruck, yeah. <laughs> um, but really hadn't done anything in the film region. He wrote the screenplay for a movie that I actually really, really dislike called Congo in 1995. Um, Did he really? Yeah. Yeah, you want to see, like, apes, you know, apes and gorillas being tortured, that's your movie. There's a couple of those in the mid-90s that are just, like, really hard to watch because there's another one that um, Alec Baldwin and uh, and Anthony Hopkins are in, and I can't remember what it's called, but that one is kind of like the same thing. The Edge, yeah, and it felt like a bear attack the entire time where they were just, like, killing a bear, and it's like, what am I watching? What is this? Um, so there were a couple of those in the mid nineties that I did not care for because it just felt like attacking animals for no no reason. And Congo was that for me, but, um, so he really hadn't done anything in the film realm since the mid nineties, early to mid nineties. And obviously he'd been doing a lot of theatrical work, but, um, it's kind of impressive that he still had the cachet to to be able to come back i guess the pulitzer prize will give that to you but you know like it's impressive well, that they you know let him direct was? this scott rudin produced it he yeah. produced the play on broadway right and uh and so i'm sure i mean i'm sure scott was like hey let's do this right well and scott rudin was also the person who went to bat for viola davis because oh interesting because John Patrick Shanley was on record saying he didn't think she was right for it, which is laughable now. Um, and he said, of course, you know, he said he saw, you know, just tons and tons and tons of auditions. And he, to his credit, he did say that he saw some of the best, he felt like he saw some of the best actors that he'd ever seen in his life in that audition room, you know, and with material like that, I'm inclined to believe him. And another side note, I don't know if you saw this or heard anything about this, but apparently Oprah lobbied hardcore for this role and john patrick shanley refused to even let her audition because he didn't want the distraction of oprah winfrey playing this role yeah it would have overshadowed the entire piece right i actually i do feel like that's probably a a good it's it's kind of unfair to oprah in some ways right you know like she's a fantastic actress yeah and underrated probably would have done it beautifully yeah uh but she's oprah yeah yeah. So, but anyway, she needs to be the sort of maybe not so much now, but then she sort of was either the centerpiece of a movie or not at all. I mean, she's Oprah. Right. Yeah. 
Um, but anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt. So do you have any other thoughts on John Patrick Shanley or the uh, cinematography with this? I noticed almost immediately how theatrical it was. Mm-hmm. And it was very, um, it really assisted in uh, creating, his direction really assisted in directing you as an audience member. Um, scenes were really clear. Part of that was in the writing too, you know, but, one of my favorite bits is the thing with the cat. Yes. Yep. You know, sort, sort of those strong sort of theatrical themes are there. So what do you think? Yeah, I'm with you. I there were I was surprised by... Um, the film is almost... Um, I don't know. It's almost, mono, it's almost monochromatic in some ways. Like it's all... I don't know. It's all very black and white and kind of... Um, there's kind of a dreariness to it it's like a really overcast it feels like everything is overcast and and gray um but i there were parts of that that i really liked um yeah his direction really is interesting i'm i'm with you actually i i usually ask you do you have favorite scenes and i i am curious about that but actually you just brought up probably my favorite and it's such a small moment but the cat scene her Meryl's eyes in that scene are amazing. The way she... Aren't they? It's just insane. And I think it's helped by the fact... I actually think it's helped by the way... This will sound like a really strange thing, but actually the way she wears her bonnet, um, it kind of frames her face in a unique way. It's more like oval-shaped than everybody else's. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there's something about the way it affects her eyes under those glasses that like, it just seems like they're just darting really fast back and forth yeah. and, and the glasses magnify her eyes exactly bit. yeah yeah well, but it's yeah. it's not that sort of like there's a you know she gets that idea there's some sort of line and i i can't remember it verbatim but you know they're they're talking about there was a mouse and you know so somebody says something to the point of like all you need to do is get a cat i can't remember what the line is but you know the implication is you'll you'll have more success if you get a cat than if you do anything else and, um, you know, her eyes as she kind of darts back and forth and then she looks to Amy Adams' character, but she darts so fast over there um, in that way of like, you know exactly what she's thinking. And she's using it in her mind as a metaphor for like, we're the cat for, you know, yeah for father here. It's it's totally. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I, I don't know. It's um there is something kind of slow I, I think a lot of theatrical uh, uh you know movies that are adapted from plays especially particularly talky plays i appreciate mm-hmm. that he he lets the scenes play out you know they're not rushed and they don't seem he's not self-conscious in his direction about you know letting there be a 10 minute scene where it's essentially stationary it's just you know one camera on yeah. Meryl, one camera on Philip Seymour Hoffman, and letting them do all of it with, you know, not even too much of a physical presence, really. You know, they'll be sitting in chairs. Sometimes Philip Seymour Hoffman will, will stand if he gets, you know, uh, you know, upset about something. But, like, he kind of lets yeah. them do it, do the heavy lifting. And, and he doesn't rely on, you know, really much of anything on his end. He just kind of, like... It's it's what good directors really do, which is you know you cast it well. Yeah. Most of your job is done for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I totally agree. 
there's a it's simple and there's a clarity to his direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, I love I love the beginning of the scene where all three of them meet in the office for the first time, and Philip Seymour Hoffman takes her seat. Oh yeah, at the head of her desk. And the power dynamics with the tea and the sugar and the, like the level of irritation and Meryl Streep just sitting on, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there is so much there. And, you know, I was just thinking about this. It came up while you were talking about um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, do you know what kind of speaks to his guilt more than anything else? What? is the final servant to his parish. Yes. Yep. You're right about that. That is an interesting scene in general. Almost, maybe sacred is the wrong word, but the way he comes down off of the pulpit and shakes everybody's hand, hand, there's so much, there's so much hubris in it and ego. Uh And you're like, somebody who's been totally destroyed by an accusation this is where your mind goes. It's somebody who's been totally destroyed by an accusation. Would they behave that way? It is and interesting. Think, well, maybe they would put on a show. Well, and he's been putting on shows with his sermon throughout the the length of the yeah. film. I guess it only it it really only encapsulates. Uh, it, it really only involves like three sermons. But basically, you know, the first sermon is about doubt. And then, you know, I like he kind of uses his sermons as very pointed yeah, messages. Like one, gossip. Yes, gossip. Yes, that's a big one too. But he uses those as very pointed messages at almost they're not threats exactly, but he's basically using it as a bully pulpit really to say, you know, yeah. like I have this audience here. They're all listening to everything I say and this is what is important about what we do. You know, like that, that is what I take from his, from his sermon. And it's, it's kind of stunning actually that he uses the last one there. The first time that I watched this movie, I remember thinking, wow, that would, that would really be, uh, you know, that last sermon that he delivers at the church, he speaks for just a minute or two and then says, I'm going to use the rest of this time to come among you, which is kind of a demeaning, you know, like I will, you know, lower yeah. myself to your level and say goodbye to you now. And this um, kind of puts him on a. Um, I don't. I don't even know the right, the right way of of, of putting it. But there's kind of it's like condescending. The, there's a condescension and sort of a. It is very paternal. Yeah. Um, and domineering, and also just a total sense of protection and self assuredness. Right. He goes down to shake their hands, like he is immune to the world. Yeah. Well, that and... Because he knows he's safe. Yes, he knows he's safe. Well, that's that's the whole thing, too, of like, you know, he, he'll just be shipped off somewhere else and he's someone else's problem now. And who's who's the person coming in? Are they the same? And, you know, like there's so many so many questions about Catholicism that, you know, are wrapped up in these like priests just being moved from parish to parish. Um, you know, historically, that has been the case for for years and years and years, um, and they're kind of finally having to face some consequences for all of that. But you know, this is yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It's 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 interesting. 
I don't know. I really like this. History. Yeah, I like this movie. Any other uh, any other things that you wanted to say about this movie? No, I think we I think we have done it to I think death. We've exhausted it for now. Yeah. Uh, um, this movie, the budget for it was roughly twenty million, um, and it made in in U.S. theaters a little over thirty three million. So when you factor in, oh. I mean, that's that's fine. You know, I mean, that's it made back its money plus a little over 50% more. Um, and when you factor in worldwide box office, it was probably a reasonable, modest hit as far as these things go. Um, like I said, it was nominated for um, a number of... Uh, it was nominated for five Oscars and in the exact same categories in the Golden Globes. Um Meryl lost Best Actress that year to Kate Winslet for The Reader. I think we talked about that last time, maybe, that it was just kind of like Kate Winslet's year. She'd been nominated like five times by that point. Um, and there was kind of this, this is her year kind of thing. Everybody knew it before the actual awards. Um, uh, we already talked about Viola Davis and Amy Adams lost to Penelope Cruz and, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who had just won a year or two earlier for Capote, uh, lost to Heath Ledger for best supporting actor for the dark Knight. which that's another one. It uh, was partially because he had just died, but also his performance in the dark Knight is also amazing. And I really think, he, yeah, I think he would have won either way, but, um, yeah. So anyway, that's, yeah. that's how that goes. All right, so well, let's do our other categories quick. Uh, which would you uh, like to start with? Six Degrees or movies Meryl was almost in? Six Degrees. Let's do Six Degrees. Um, so for Six Degrees, we did Mahershala Ali. I still don't think I'm saying his name right, but we're going to... Yeah, you are. Mahershala Ali. Okay. Yeah, you got it right. So did you think of any for Mahershala Ali? No. I like their <laughs> I was trying to think of something, and I was like, True Detective? Moonlight? Yeah, um, those are both hard ones. Or Green Book? I was like, I don't know. Well, Green Book, there's kind of an interesting one. This, It's it's a connection that is kind of both, yes, it's in kind of maybe category, because Green Book was directed by Peter Farrelly, who directed that movie Stuck on You, which Meryl has a cameo in. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's sort of one. Um the one that I my mind kind of went to right away was Mahershala Ali was in the last two The Hunger Games movies. And um, so actually Philip Seymour Hoffman from from Doubt. But there's yeah. there's lots of connections there. Julianne Moore is in those two movies. She was in The Hours with Meryl. And um, Stanley Tucci is in the last two Hunger Games. I think he's in all the Hunger Games movies, actually. Um, Who was Mahershala Ali in The Hunger Games? He was, let me bring it up to see what his character name was. I I don't remember any of the character names in those movies, but I remember no, that he was in them. Um, he must be one of the, like, resistance people with Julianne Moore. Yeah, he's had kind of an interesting career. He plays a character named Boggs in part one and part oh. two. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, yeah, he's had kind of an interesting uh, trajectory over his over his career. He's made some interesting movies, that's for sure. Um, yeah. Oh, you know what we didn't do uh, for before we ended our doubt segment was, I was going to ask you, do you have your lists by chance? I do. Oh, my goodness. And I, 
and I finished them. Like, I have everything linked now. All right. Well, let's hear them. Where would this, do you have it included with doubt? Um, I do. I included doubt as well. Although this is really tough. I'm not quite sure. I, I am finding it more and more challenging to rank these as we increase the list. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, per- performances-wise, do you want me to go through my list Please. Quick? Please, yes. Okay. So, I have... I actually... Do you know what's so funny as a caveat before I go into these lists? I... Um, we've been doing this since 2017. I can't believe we've been doing this since 2017, but we have. And I, um, I ranked these as we went along clearly on purpose, but now I look at them and I'm like, huh. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm leaving them as is and like fitting new films like into the ranking as is, um, but I can't quite recall why I ranked them the way I did. Yeah. So, well, I also think it's it's fair to move them around should you feel the need to. I think, obviously, what comes with doing them as you're seeing the movies is you feel... Like, The Post was like that for me, where I, like, I loved that movie so much and was really swept up in it when it first came about. And I think I'd probably yeah. still feel that way. But I think sometimes we feel that way about both really good and negative where something really kind of moves us and then long term we might actually like something better but in the moment we maybe push it a little too high or a little bit too low so i think it's okay to move them around after the fact yeah for sure and uh, actually i did that without while we were speaking i looked at my list and i was like i'm gonna move that so and that's just after a couple hours. So yeah, there's definitely that sort of initial freshness of a film and the impact on you that that and then after some time. Okay, so Meryl Streep uh, performance breaking for me, my favorite. I actually have the post at number one. All right, awesome, good. I have Julia Julia, Devil Wears Sada, Postcards from the Edge, Adaptation, Out of Africa, Kramer versus Kramer. The Hours, River Wild, Mama Mia 2, because she's got that one song, and she broke my heart with one song. I'm with you on that. Was she was amazing song. in that. She was amazing. Florence Foster Jenkins, Mama Mia 1, she's so much fun. Soapwood, Heartburn, Deer Hunter, Doubt, She Devil, House of Spirit, Mary Poppins, Manhattan, Before and After, Still of the Night, and Homeland. Okay, you and I have very similar lists, except for there's only one thing that truly shocks me about that list. Do you know what it is? Yeah. Silkwood being being so low. Well, honestly, um, it's actually quite high, and from the length of it, I think it's quite high. Okay. with it and her 
just seeing her be such a badass on screen. Yeah. Um, so things like that. Yeah. Sort of end up ranking those things higher. Yeah. Oh, I don't so mean... the movie list is... Yeah, I'm not okay. giving you shit. I'm not. I'm not trying to change your mind. I'm just saying, like that is the. <laughs> I'm not trying to persuade you in one way or the other. I'm just surprised. That's all. Sure, you're not. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so forth ranks much higher on film. Okay, well, let's hear that list if you if you're ready. Sure. So the movies. Um, I must be missing some because my movie list only has 21, but my but my performances is 23. You well, can tell me what I'm missing. It should be 24, with doubt. <laughs> oh, no. What am I missing? I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll figure it I out, and I'll let you know. Your list and you'll have to tell me. Yeah, I'll, I'll figure it okay. out and let you know. Okay, right now, my movie's list. The Hours, Postcards from the Edge, Kramer versus Kramer, The Post, Adaptation, Florence Foster Jenkins, Doubt, Silkwood, out of Africa, Deer Hunter, Devil Wears Prada, Mamma Mia 1, Mamma Mia 2, River Wild, House of Spirits, Heartburn, She-Devil, Still the Night, Before and After, Holmesman, and Manhattan. Okay. So I'm missing Mary Poppins on that list. Yeah, and maybe Julia. Did you say Julia? Oh, you're right. That must be... That is on my list. I have missed it somehow. Oh, okay. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll go back through and find it. But I'm close. And, guys... So proud of me! I found my list, I and know. I actually did some work on it. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> okay, good um, Why? Well, I don't think I'll. I don't need to like read my whole thing. I'll just tell you where I'm slotting these in, and I'm also going to sure. put these in the show notes here, so people can. Yeah. If great. people even care, maybe they don't even care about this. I don't know. Um, I think for performances, I'm going to put this. Um, you kind of just persuaded me on the river wild i was going to have this maybe just above the river wild but actually i think i kind of agree with you i kind of like her performance in river wild a little bit better so i'm going to put this number 10 in between uh river wild and mama mia 2 awesome. uh, on the performances and i think in terms of the movies i'm going to put it i'm going to put it maybe right in between the deer hunter and postcards from the edge at number eight i i feel bad i keep kind of sliding postcards from the edge down and i love that's like one of my favorite movies but i feel like ultimately this is a better constructed film than postcards from the edge um i maybe don't love it as much but i feel like it's a more like impressively made film for some reason. Maybe I feel like I just should feel like that and don't actually feel like that. I'm going to wrestle with that this week and I'll let you know next week what I actually decide on that. I get, I get why I get why you say that. Um, this movie is very precise. Doubt is so precise. And Postcards very much feels like um, a nostalgic watch from the 80s, you know? Yeah. Um, so I get why you say that. Yeah. For sure. It still remains up there at the top for me. Um, I think because to some degree I feel the same way about the movie list. It's sort of a combination of quality of film and my personal experience with the film overall. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, but that's pretty high on my list. It's just seven. Yeah. Of the 24. Because it is so precise and well done. It's really quality. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. So, our next movie, what is it going to be? Ricky and the Flash. 
It's legit, although we I do like that we've kind of been alternating between, you know, yeah. something lighter, something heavier, because I also would prefer not to get in the place where like the last 10 movies we have to get through are the ones we've been like putting off. Although, yeah. you, you know, some of them like The Homesman, we got that one out of the way, you know, and <laughs> and that was a rough one. And and actually, I feel that way about Julia, too. Um so some of those, but, and I don't mean to just, you know, to demean those movies. I'm just saying there aren't a whole ton that are really uh, kind of slogs to get through, but there are, there are a couple in there that are tougher than others to get through. So, yes. um, um, you know, what's so funny is that the homesmen to date after what a year, a year, two years of doing this, the homesmen to date is still our highest ranked episode. Is it really? And yes. And we were we were more ruthless with the homesmen than I think we've been any other movie on this podcast. So um, I don't know what that was. Yeah, interesting. Well, I don't want to go back to it, so we'll we'll just let it lie. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. All right. Well, uh, we'll be back as soon as we can, everybody. As always, thanks for listening. Rate, review, and subscribe. You can send us thoughts at uh, Meryl Street Podcast at gmail dot com. And we appreciate hearing from you. I love getting those emails, actually. And um, so thank you very much. And we'll see you next time. Bye. That's all.